319. Brother, how about you open this in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne, God, we just want to thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence tonight, God. I pray, God, that you will just touch this uh, service, God. I pray that you just bless the singing and overshadow the preacher as he delivers your word. Pray, God, we'll, uh, you'll touch our hearts and receive it with an open heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, page 296.
page 203. <clears throat> I try Let's all stand again, page 199. <coughs> fellowship then we'll get the last (laughs) 
have any ties, you can bring them at this time.
sing that song as words of truth at one point in my life I thought I was something I found out I was nothing without Christ amen amen thank you so much first Peter chapter 3 tonight first Peter chapter number 3 appreciate all of you that are here tonight appreciate you coming I was going to read just one verse of scripture but oh thank you but uh I believe I'll read a few verses just so you get the context of what he's saying. To be and to be busy about the Lord's business and and uh, trying to teach us, train us how to be personal soul winners. <clears throat> And we went over a lot of things this the last time that we were in this, but I want to continue with that refrain tonight. And uh, we're going to, at the end of this, I'm going to give you a lot of verses that I want you to write down. And, uh, and I'll tell you some things that some people shared with me of what they have done in their Bible, their personal Bibles, and uh, show you what you could do and to mark up your Bible and to be more ready to give an answer of those things that, that God has done in your hearts. <clears throat> so look, let's look with 1 Peter chapter 3 tonight. Let's all stand just to give you a moment to stretch your legs and, and look at some things. 1 Peter chapter number 3. <clears throat> in beginning, I want to begin there in verse number 13. <clears throat> It says, and who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? He said, but and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be ye troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Verse number 15 is our main text tonight. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always, always to give an answer of every man that asketh a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. If you look back, he's building up to that verse 15. He says, he says, who is he that's going to harm you if you be followers that which is good? Verse number 14, he says, and if you suffer, if you are, if something does happen, and he's, all, and he's talking about us witnessing for Christ, Verse number 15, being a witness for him. And he starts out, leads in with this question, who is he that's going to harm you if you do that which is good? And he goes on to say, but if, the, if you do suffer for being a witness for Christ, he says, happy are you. 
And then he goes on to say, be not afraid of their terror because there's some that will try to make you terrified to witness to them. I've bumped into a few of them down through the years, but thank God the, the Bible teaches us that there's nothing that we should fear in being a witness for Jesus Christ. We should be bold about it. We should be, we should be uh, just present with it. We should be uh, eager to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is, the, that is the main reason that I wanted to cover these, these thoughts with you, is to be able to instruct you, to be able to train you, to be able to teach you, to be able to uh, encourage your hearts to be a witness and a bold witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. The last time that we covered this thought, I said, how many of you would be confident if we had an altar call, let's say, let's say someone tonight sees their need of Jesus Christ and they were come to come down to the altar. Could you personally come down to this altar with them and lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's say it were, let's say it like this. Let's say it were a young person. Could some of our young people that's in here tonight, would you be confident enough to come down with another young person and, and tell them what they must do to be saved? Let's say it was somebody in their middle ages. Would our middle age group be confident enough to come down here and bow with somebody and tell them how to be saved? Let's say it was an elder person. Would it be... Would it be unreasonable to ask the question, could any one of us in this room at any moment be able to come down and talk to someone about the Lord Jesus Christ and express and tell them from the scriptures what they must do to be saved? And that's why I wanted to cover this because I think it's important that we prepare ourselves the Lord Jesus Christ used a parable one time, and he says, And that wicked servant who prepared not himself. And we must prepare ourselves to be used by the Lord God at any moment to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got a lot of Sunday school teachers in here. Got a lot of Wednesday night teachers. Are you prepared and ready to teach others how to be saved? We got, we got just opportunity after opportunity in this church setting to tell others about Jesus Christ. But it goes beyond that. It goes outside our doors. It goes out into the field, the harvest. And we must always be ready to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. At any given time, he says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always, always looking for that opportunity. And this is the response that I've had so far from that one, one message that I preached. Preacher, I'm just not confident in that area. Preacher, I'm just not confident enough in myself to be able to take a Bible and show others that's nothing to be ashamed of. It's something to, to work on. It is something to prepare yourself in. And it's something that we need to get confident in is how to lead others to the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you agree with me tonight that this world needs Jesus? 
I mean, they're in dire need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are the ones who have the answer. Amen. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I'm going to bring you some thoughts tonight and, uh, and see what God will do in our hearts. Our Father, tonight we love you. We thank you for loving us and being so kind to us. Thank you for the good singing tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to gather around the good word of God. And Lord, as we gather together around this blessed old Bible, I pray, Father, that you please bless the, the time together tonight. Encourage our hearts. Teach us, Lord. May the Spirit of God be our teacher and our guide tonight. And we're thankful for everything that you'll do for us. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray and ask. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. Our opening verse demands and deserves our full attention and study. And we need to, it would do us good to commit this one verse of scripture to, to memory. To memorize it, to realize that, that the Lord expects something out of us in our lives. It's more, there's more to being saved than just being saved. God wants to use all of our lives. He wants to use our lives to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about what does it mean to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts? We know that God himself is sanctified. It means that word sanctified, there's some words that we need to understand what, it, what, is, what the definition are so we can get the full thrust of what the Lord is saying in this verse. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of hope that is in you. And what does it mean to sanctify the Lord God in my heart? What does it mean for me to look in there or, or do something in my life? What does it mean for me personally to sanctify the Lord God in my heart? Well, that word sanctify, it means to cleanse, to purify, or to make holy. And it means this, that I used to say this when I realized what the word sanctify means in my own life. I used to say it like this. When, when it says that the Lord is going to sanctify us, it means get ready for God wants to use your life. Get ready for God wants to use you. And the Lord wants all of us to be a mouthpiece for the gospel's sake, can I get a witness right there? He wants every one of us to be a witness and a personal witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Get ready for God wants to use your life to tell others about Jesus Christ. Now listen, most of us in this room, we don't need to be cleansed from Big sins, if you want to call it that. There's none of us needing to be cleansed from adultery or drunkenness or murder. I pray and I pray not. But we do need to be cleansed from certain things. And one of those things is just a, a lack of not being a personal witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one area of our lives. There's many in my personal life. The area of prayer. I need to... I need to attend to prayer more in my life, studying and on and on and on like that. I don't believe I'm ever going to get to heaven and the Lord chastised me for 
praying too much. I don't believe I'm going to get to heaven and the Lord chastised me for studying too much. And I do not believe that the Lord would chastise any of us for witnessing too much. I'm reminded of certain ones that I've encountered down through the years who were bold witnesses and they've always impressed me. Brother Daniel Brimmer was one of them. It did not matter where we would go it, whenever we would bump into a total stranger, he would talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the boldness that we all need. That's the, that's the kind of life we need to live to where we would be confident enough, bold enough to be able to t- talk to others about Jesus Christ. So we're to sanctify. We're to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts It means to always be ready for God to use our lives and be ready to give an answer to any person that might ask us a reason of the hope that lies within us. How many of you have hope tonight? And it's all in Jesus Christ. Well, he wants us to give an answer to that. Be ready how to give that answer to others. Look in, look in Matthew chapter number 11 tonight. Matthew chapter 11. I want you to look at this with me. We must, as the people of God, we must let God develop a burden in our hearts to talk to people about Jesus Christ. We need a burden. We were listening to the radio on the way here and there was a preacher on there preaching and I mean he was preaching. And he was, he was just tearing up the airways with the gospel. And he was, and he was bold and he was, and he was excited about what he was preaching about. We need that excitement. We need that boldness again in the, in the Christian life to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm from a town that, is, that bears the name of Waycross, Georgia. Waycross, Georgia. I did a little... Uh, history lesson on that one time, a little study on the history of Waycross, Georgia, and it actually used to be called Way of the Cross, Georgia. That was the original name of it. And the article went on to say that I read that you could not walk down the streets of Way of the Cross, Georgia without somebody stopping you and inviting you to church, giving you a gospel tract, talking to you about Jesus. It was just that kind of town. It was founded on the gospel. It was founded on on the, the cross. And people were just excited about Jesus Christ and inviting others to be a part of what he's doing. And, uh, and now it's known as Waycross, Georgia. But nevertheless... That was, that's how we need to be in our own lives. No matter where we're at, whether it's on the job, whether it's in the grocery store, whether it's in the mall, whether it's anywhere we may travel in our life, God has given us the opportunity to be a witness for him. And I want to keep pounding that tonight and keep stressing that, trying to encourage all of our hearts to, to really realize that God does want to use my life. He wants to use our young people's lives. He wants to use the elders' lives. Every one of us need to be used by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's a shame. But when we get to preaching and talking about this issue of God wants to use you, and a preacher gets up and says, God wants to use you, and we, 
We hear that all the time from certain preachers. We, God wants to use you. When we hear that, we think in terms and confines of the church setting. We think, well, God wants to use us. So what could we do? What could I do within the church? But listen, our platform is a lot bigger than the four walls of a church building. Our platform, our stage that God has given us, let me put it like this, our Sunday school class is the world. Our pulpit is the world. There is no limits on, on what we can do for the Lord Jesus Christ. If Listen, some people say, well, uh, the, I believe that God wants to use me, but I can't sing. I believe God wants to use me, but I can't teach. I believe God wants to use me, but I, I'm not called to preach. I believe God. And we, we just limit ourselves by thinking within the confines of the church. But it's so much bigger than that. We have the world to work with. And God can use any one of us to be a witness and to be an effective witness for him. I'm preaching not just to you. I'm preaching to me tonight. And I'm preaching to me hard tonight because in this area of my life, I need to be more willing, more uh, able, and, and more ready for God to use me at any moment. No matter where I'm at, what I'm doing, I want God to use me to be a bold witness for him. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus Christ was looking at a group of people and he said these words. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke, take my yoke upon you. He's saying, yoke up with me. This is a double yoke. And whenever they would yoke up two animals, the two would stand side by side and they would put a yoke that was linked to, to each other and it would just yoke those two animals together and they were more, they were more efficient. They were, more, they were stronger together. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest to your souls. Watch this. For my yoke is easy. Look at this. And my burden is light. Listen, when we yoke ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be going where he wants us to go and we'll be doing what he is doing. And that's the whole, that's the whole premise behind this, this text tonight is that he wants us to yoke up with him. He wants us to do what he's doing. He wants us to go where he wants us to go. And we need to yoke up with Jesus Christ. Remember the last time that we were in this, I told you that we needed to remember that we are co-laborers together with Jesus Christ. He said that we are laborers together with Christ. And so we are expected, we are the Lord wants us to work with him in the harvest. Now, let me say this. Jesus Christ said these words. He said, come after me. And he said, come ye after me and I will make you fishers of men. If we were truly yoked with Jesus Christ, if our lives were as as 
as bonded with him as they should be, if God was actually sanctified in our hearts the way it, we should be, then we would be bolder fishers for men. And I believe that with all of my heart. I, I've always said this. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The proof, whether we're following him or not, is are you fishing for men? If you're not fishing for men, you're not really following the Lord. If you are fishing for men, you are following Jesus Christ because he has promised that if we do follow him, he will make fishers of men out of our lives. Jesus Christ, or the, Jesus Christ didn't say this, but in Proverbs chapter 30, 11 verse 30, it said, he that winneth souls is wise. I'll never forget, I read an article that someone had written. I can't remember if it was one of the, uh, like, sword of the Lord or something like that. And it had a, just a little clip. And it said, are you so winning or are you so losing? And I'm afraid that the church are losing a lot of souls today because we simply will not take this burden of Jesus Christ and sanctify it in our hearts and live it out in this life as he expects us to. We, need to. we need to be ready always, it says. Everywhere and no matter what we're doing, we need to be ready to be used by Jesus Christ to tell others about him. And, and some may say, well, preacher, we're living in too wicked of an age. Look with me in Jude. Jude, there's only one chapter the little chapter, it's a little book right before the book of Revelation. Matter of fact, it is the preamble. It sets the stage for the book of Revelation and it tells us how times are going to be right before the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And look what he talks about in the book of Jude. He talks about, in verse number three of Jude, he said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. He wants us to be active. He wants us to contend. He wants us to be in this thing. He doesn't want us to just be passive Christians. He wants us to engage ourselves. He wants us to get in this thing and be a part of what God is doing then notice, notice what he talks about in this little one chapter book. Verse number four, he talks about certain men crept in unawares who are ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. We are living in those days today. There's preachers all across this this land that's just teaching people that God's not interested in changing you. Just come and, and just, just let Jesus in your heart and keep on living. The way. That's turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. That word lasciviousness just means uh, loose living. And that's the age we're living in. And he told us that it would be that way. Look in verse number 7. He talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. Look in verse number 8, filthy dreamers defiling their flesh. Look in verse number 10, they speak evil of those things which they know not. 
And he goes on and on and on describing these people. It's one of the most descriptive books describing the times we are living in. But look what he tells us to do in the midst of all that wickedness. He says, verse 22, and of some having compassion, making a difference. Wow. In that, that setting, he tells us to have compassion and make a difference in other people's lives. That's what we must be busy about. Look in Matthew chapter 9. How many of you believe tonight that Jesus Christ lived the life as an, his life as an example to us. Uh, he, came to, he came to walk among men for many different reasons. He came to die for our sins, yes. He came to, to uh, experience what we do. He was up in heaven. He didn't know what it was to live in a sin-cursed world. But he came and experienced our world. But he came to be an example to us of how we should live our lives in, in this world. Look in chapter number nine, uh, Matthew 9, and the Word of God says this. It said that in verse number 35, it said, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness, every disease among the people. Notice Jesus was engaged with people. He was involved in people's lives everywhere he went. He involved himself in other people's lives. He was not a untouchable. He was not separated. He was not uh, so holy that he could be no earthly good. Jesus Christ engaged himself in other people's lives. And look what he said. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. On some have compassion, making a difference. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. That's what moved Jesus Christ. When he was among people, he didn't, he didn't disdain them. He didn't look down on them. He didn't, he didn't look at them and say, well, they're getting what they deserve. He involved himself so much so that his compassion for them moved him into their lives. But look what he said in the following verses. Verse number 37. Then saith he to who? His disciples. Those who were following him. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Wow. I feel like I need to go ahead and give an invitation right there. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Then he tells them to do this. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And that prayer that we pray includes ourselves. It's not God, you send Lloyd, you send Janet, you send Terry, you send Dale, you send this one. But God send us into that harvest and let us be a laborer with you in the harvest of God. 
He said the harvest, Jesus Christ told him one time, he said, lift up your eyes and look on the harvest. He said, it's white already under harvest. I mean, there's nothing, it's, it's ready for the, for the reaping. It's ready for plucking. And it's just, it's up to the church of the living God to get out there in the harvest and involve ourselves, move with compassion in their lives and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Always and everywhere we, we go, we should be moved by the by, sad thing about it. We look at sinners sometimes and we think, well, yeah, they're, they're getting what they deserve. They're living that life and their life's full of them. No, we're not to look at them like that. We're to look at them with the eyes of Jesus Christ and move with compassion toward their life to tell them what, to, to give them some, some bit of hope in this life. They're hopeless out there. They're without God having no hope, no hope. Can you imagine living a life like that? No hope, none. I mean, we've got the hope of Jesus coming and getting the church. We've got something to look. They have nothing, nothing, nothing. No wonder they're doing what they're doing out there. No wonder they're, they're trying to fill a empty hole in their lives, in their heart, with everything that comes along. Drugs, sex, they try to fill it with, with alcohol. Anything that they think of fill that void, they're trying to put it in there. Put it. I was like that. I was one of them. But thank God for some men at the railroad who would have, have enough compassion to leave some tracks in a break room and leave them there so a, a little lost fella could come by and pick one up and read about Jesus Christ. They need that hope. And we have the answer for them. There's, we can't. We've got to be moved with compassion just like Jesus Christ did. They have, they have no hope and they have nobody who cares for them. The world don't care for them. The drunks encourage the drunks to get drunker. The dopers encourage the dopers to get dopier. They have nobody. Nobody. And God says, I want you out there and involve yourself in their lives. Look in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. John chapter 4 tonight. You know the story. He's been with the woman at the well. And, he, and the, I love the way the scriptures describe it. It says, for he must needs go through Samaria. And a Jew was not even supposed to set foot in the uh, town of Samaria. But Jesus Christ went into those places that nobody else would go to. And he went into Samaria, sat with that woman at the well, and told her words that she needed to hear. She had, she had had five husbands. She was shacked up with one, but when she met the seventh one, that's when her life completely changed. But I want you to look what he told her in, in verse number 34, or told his disciples, I'm sorry, 
He said in verse number 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He says, I'm here for a reason. I'm here to do the business of my father. He said, this is what keeps me going. This is my meat. He said, this is what sustains me in life is doing the will of my father. And to finish the work, he said, verse 35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Everywhere we go, there's somebody to talk to about Jesus Christ. Every place we work at, every, every store we visit, every sidewalk we walk down, there's somebody there that we could talk to about Jesus Christ. If there's ever been a time pressed upon us that we need to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, it is this hour in which we live. If there's ever been a time so so needing us, it's this hour which we I believe Jesus is about to come back. I believe it could be today. And if he came... I want to be found faithful to do what he's given us to do as his people. I want to be that witness for Jesus Christ. The need is definite. The need is demanding. We just got to sanctify him in our hearts. We got to set him apart and and do what he's wanting us to do. We got to be so in tune with, with Jesus Christ who lives in us that we... Or we do what he wants us to do when he wants us to do it. Some will say, well, I can't. That's not my personality. Is Jesus Christ in you? That's his personality. Some will say, well, I'm not confident enough. That's the purpose of these lessons is to give you the confidence to know that God does want to use you and you can prepare yourself to be used in this This fashion. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10. Listen to what these words. He said for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then? He's asking a question. How then shall they call on him whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how? How shall they hear without a preacher? Somebody to tell him. Somebody to witness to them. Somebody that will take the time and compassion to tell them about Jesus Christ. The world is our platform. If you were to fill out a questionnaire uh, and the question says, where do you work? We could honestly put there the world. For that's the platform that God has given us in our lives to be a witness Now, I want to show you, I want to show you tonight, I want you to write these scriptures down. I want you to write them down because I'm going to give you some scriptures tonight, some scriptures you can personally use to tell others of how to be saved. We're going to get into the, we're going to get into the reasons why somebody needs to be saved. We're going to, we're going to give you scriptures for that, but I want to give you some scriptures tonight. And I'm going to tell you what you can do with those scriptures and and show you how you can reference them to where you'll be ready 
to tell somebody else about Jesus Christ. First, I want us to consider the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? If we were to have to turn in our Bibles to any given place and say, look, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where it's defined. Where would we go in our Bibles to show somebody what the gospel of Jesus Christ is? And there's as much confusion about this one topic as there is any topic out there today. There's some that are, they'll teach, well, there's a fourfold gospel. And some will say, no, there's only three. And, and all this junk that's out there, where could we go in our Bibles to find out where the gospel is declared for us? Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. I want you to look at this. I think, I think a message like this is just as needful within the church body as any other message that could be preached. I want to tell you a story. <clears throat> Back in the days, and, I, and I've referenced Billy Graham a lot because I've been listening to a channel that he preaches. It's called the Billy Graham Channel. And back in his young days, that man was a preacher. He preached the gospel. He preached repentance. He preached that you need, to, you need to turn from your sin. You need a change in your life. And he would preach repentance and he would tell them how to be saved, how to repent, how to receive Jesus Christ. And one day after he preached a great campaign in a stadium, the stadium was full of people. It said somebody came up on the platform with him. I, I believe it was a grandson of his at that time. And, but anyway, somebody came up on the platform with him or was already on the platform with him. And they asked, they went up, they were talking with Billy Graham, and they asked Billy Graham this question. Billy, who is going to take your place? And they said that Billy Graham, without any hesitation, looked at that person asking the question, then he turned around and he looked at all those people in that stadium. He opened his arms and his hands to them, and he said, they are going to take my place. You see, this thing involves every one of us, all of us. We need to be a part of what God is doing in this world. He is still interested in saving souls. He is still interested in washing them in the blood of His dear Son. He is still interested in forgiving their wickedness. And He wants us involved. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writing, he said, verse number 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How? Here it is. Number one, that Christ died for your, for our sins, according to the scripture. That's the number one thing about the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. Number two, and that he was buried. That's the second part to the gospel. 
And number three, in that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He, he died for our sins. He was buried. And he rose again the third. Brethren, that is the simplicity of the gospel. How that Jesus Christ loved us so much that he was willing to become sin for our sin. He, he became literally your sin on the cross of Calvary. He actually became you on the cross of Calvary and took your punishment. He took every person's punishment on Calvary when he hung there that day. He died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. That is the gospel. And somebody needing to be saved needs to understand that gospel. They need to understand what the gospel is, what the message of the gospel is. And they need to understand the issue between them and God is their sin. So how do we show them their, their need to be saved? Look in Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter number 3. Write this one down, Romans chapter number 3. We're going to show them that they need a Savior. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. As it is written, according to the Scriptures, as it is written, there is none good, none righteous, no, not one. You're dealing with somebody, you can look at them and say, look what this verse says. There's none righteous, not, not you, not me, not any person. The only righteous one there was was Jesus Christ. And show them that they are sinners in the eyes of God. Look in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Show them their need that they are sinners in the eyes of God and they need a Savior and Jesus Christ, the gospel is what? That he died for their sins. And show them that they are sinners in need of a Savior. Look in Romans chapter 6, verse number 23. Romans chapter number 6, verse 23. And show them the reason we die. And the proof that we're all sinners is that every person dies. Science has never solved the problem of death. Why? Because sin is a curse. Death is a, a curse resulting from the sin that we commit. Look in verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. You're going to die one day. You're going to gonna either go to heaven or hell one day. There's only two places you can go when you die. Do you know where you're going when you die? Do you have assurance that you're going to heaven? Press that issue on them. Make them see. Make them think about it. They're not going to think about it uh, on their own. We've got to press that issue into their lives and their hearts. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's showing them their need. Of a Savior. Then show them that God is a loving God. Look in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Look in verse number 
verse number 8. He said, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it's really not what we can do. It's what Christ has done to save us. He loved us so much that he was willing to die even when we didn't care nothing about him, even when we were lost and in our sin. He died. He loved us that much. And we know John 3.16. For God so loved who? The world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever. That includes you. That includes every person. That whosoever should, be, should believe in him. Shall not perish. But have everlasting life. We can show them that God is a loving God. God's not a bully. God's sitting up there just waiting to send somebody to hell. He wants them to be saved. He doesn't want them to go to hell. That's why he sent his son to die on Calvary so that they could be saved. Show that it is by grace that we're saved. Look in Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter number 2. Show that they can do nothing to earn salvation. It is a gift of God. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Show them there that it is all the grace of God. That any person gets saved. It's church baptism. Church membership, baptism, good works, uh, doing good in life is just not good enough. Being a good person is not good enough. It's by grace are we saved. By, by His grace alone. The book of Titus chapter 3 verse number 5. Write that verse down. Not by works of righteousness, righteousness which we have done. But according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. Then we've got to show them. We get them, we get them lost. <laughs> we let them see from the, from the scriptures just what God says about themselves. They're sinners. They need to be saved. God loves them. God wants to save them. And then show them it's nothing they can do. It's all by grace. And then they'll say, well, what must I do to be saved? Number one thing, they must be willing to repent. I believe that's the missing note in, in the modern church gospel is the repentance. They must be willing. Repentance is this. They're going along in life. They're lost. They're wandering around. And they're, they're just ambling through life. And then the convicting power of the Holy Ghost begins working in their lives. And they, they begin thinking about where they're at in life. And they repent. They, they turn around. They repent from that way. And they want a different way. Can they produce it? No. Can they change themselves? No. But they can come to a God who can change them. They must be wanting a change in life. I believe we've, we've witnessed it. We've seen people come to an altar, get down, smack and chewing gum, say a little prayer and get up and say, well, I got saved. And you never see them again in a church house. 
We've all seen that happen. Why? Something, they missed something. There was, I'm telling you, when somebody gets saved, when the good God of heaven moves on the inside of somebody, there's going to be a difference made in there. Didn't he make a difference in your life? Didn't he change your life? Isn't he still changing your life? When somebody gets saved, there's going to be a noticeable difference in their lives. Or they're not saved. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we, can, we that's one of the evidences of being saved. We become his workmanship then. We're not doing it. It's God doing it in us. And on us and through us. So... We need to show them how, number one, they must repent. In Acts chapter 17, look in Acts 17. We're almost done. Acts chapter 17. I want you to look at this with me. Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter 17. Look in verse number 30. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. Watch what these, these verses say. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he had appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man. Whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men. And that he has raised him from the dead. It, we're commanded to repent. If somebody's wanting to be saved, they must be willing to repent of their sins and, and want a different life. And Jesus Christ is the one who can make the difference. Then finally, not only are they to repent, they are to receive Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, if you'll look in those verses, I just want you to see them and let's go through them together. Just make some comments so that you can see how powerful they are, especially to somebody who's lost and how they can be affected in their lives to tell them how to be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt, thou shalt be saved. Not hope so, not maybe, Amen. not if you work it, not if you wait a while, thou shalt be saved. Verse number 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse number 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall, shall be saved. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And then you ask them this. Would you be willing to pray and ask Jesus to forgive you and come into your heart right now? And let them do it. Don't, don't, you, do, you can't pray it for them. Let them do it. And then once they do it, look at them and ask them, did he save you? Did he save you? Get them to confess it. If he saved them, that's not a false confession. That's getting them to, to, to believe what God's book has said. Did he save you? And if he saved them, they'll know it. 
they'll know what happened. They'll know that something's different in their lives. I'll never forget when I got saved, uh, I, I was a wicked man. And I got saved and I wanted to tell people about it. And I went a week on purpose. I went a week before I'd tell anybody. I wouldn't tell my wife. I didn't tell her what happened that Sunday night on that front porch because I wanted to know that what I, what I asked Jesus for really happened in my life. You see, I'd seen them boys out at the railroad come in on a Monday saying they got saved on a Sunday and they were no different on a Tuesday. And I wanted to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God had saved me. And that was a week later, that following Saturday night, we were somewhere and, and Deb kind of got mad at me and uh, we left where we were at and we left and she asked me, she said, John, why were you so unfriendly tonight? Why didn't you get in there? It was at a party and there was drinks and all like that going on and I just could not drink that night. I couldn't drink a beer. I couldn't drink any mixed drink. And there was a voice I'd never heard before in my life speaking to my heart. It wasn't audible, but I heard this, and, and God was speaking to my heart. He said this. He said, son, I'd never heard God call me son before. He said, son, you don't belong here anymore. <laughs> and on that way home that night, Debbie said, John, what is wrong with you? I said, baby, last Sunday night I got saved. And our lives are going to be different. <laughs> that's, what God, that's what God can do in somebody's life when they receive Jesus Christ into their heart and life. Now listen, don't sit there tonight and try to compare your conversion to mine. mine came, mine's, a different, mine's a different testimony than yours is. You, some of you sitting here tonight, Brother Terry got saved when he was six years old. He wasn't no drunkard at six years old like I was at 29. Don't try to compare what you experienced, but you better know that Jesus Christ is on the inside of you. You better know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has saved your soul. That's the most important thing in any person's life. Sis, you come to the piano, would you? Now listen, that was a lot of scriptures. And some say, you mean I've got to use all of them? No. Those are just some verses you can use. And I'm going to show you, it's going to be the next time we pick this up. But I'm going to show you how to mark your Bibles to where you could use your Bibles. Someone showed me what they did with theirs and how they marked their Bible. I'm going to show you how you can mark your Bible. Hopefully I can have it up on the screen where you can see it uh, visibly and get a, a clear understanding of what I'm talking about. I'm going to make a little card, a laminated card for you that you can put in your pocket with some of these verses, not all of these verses, but some of them, where you could take that, that little thing out of your pocket if you need a, a reminder and just go through it and and... Maybe you could use it at work while you're right by yourself and pull it out and say, okay, Romans 3.10, Romans 3.10, Romans 3.10. Okay, I've got that Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23.